0: gruntled. If you missed last week, we talked about contentment in Christ, and we talked about the word disgruntled, if you recall. Um, we took the word dis off and looked at the word gruntled and realized it is actually a word, and it means to be content. And it also, in the 15th century, mean to utter a little low grunt of enjoyment. A um, couple of us might have done that on Wednesday night. A couple of us might have done that last Sunday. I discovered, Lydia and I were talking this week, that I make a little, a little grunt of satisfaction when I taste something good. I, I didn't realize it, but I'm like, mmm, mmm, oh. <laughs> and there was another time I did it. When was it, honey? It wasn't just for food. There was another time I did, I don't remember. But uh, you try to ignore, she tries to ignore the, the grunting. We've reached the end of the book of Philippians. Um, we're we're at the Amen. Uh, twenty two weeks, six months, because we had some time in there for uh, Christmas and some other things. Uh, it was a longer journey. I said to some of you, it was a longer journey than I expected. I've taught through Philippians before in a past church when we lived in in Montana, and it it only took seventeen weeks. This time it took twenty two weeks because every time I don't I don't. I know that some of you experience this. Every time we open the Word of God and read it again, something new comes out. Something new is apparent, and so there was a lot of new. In spite of the fact that I, some of you have read this before, I've taught there before. There was a lot that was new. We're going to start by reading the last uh, verses, last ten verses, starting in verse fourteen of chapter four of Philippians, and it says this: Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says, but I seek the fruit, the increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for... The the things that you have taught us, you've brought us on a journey through Philippians, um, and we have learned a lot. You have been systematically changing the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, reworking us, reshaping us, and remolding us. And Lord, today as we finish out uh, this end chapter of Philippians, Lord, teach us uh, what your Scripture has for us today, what important takeaways there are. Uh, as Paul had final words for the church in Philippi, he also has final words for us. So, Lord, may we learn them and live them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul starts this section of uh, the 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 run-up to the end, I like to call it, by praising the church in Philippi for supporting him as he continued further in his missionary endeavors. Uh We know from studying Scripture that Philippi was not the only place Paul stopped and not the only church that he stopped at or not the only town he stopped in and and the only church he started. Um, And we can see uh, some news about this later. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 says this, Paul again writing, he says, "'We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that has been given us among the churches of Macedonia.'" Uh, The church of Philippi was one of those churches. So when he's speaking to the church in Corinth, he's talking about, among others, the church in Philippi. He says, for in in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In this 2 Corinthians passage, wow, that is a, I mean, we could unpack that for a couple days. There's a lot in there. Paul refers to the churches of Macedonia. Again, it would include Philippi, probably also the church in Thessalonica, possibly the churches in Berea and beyond as well. The book of 2 Corinthians written about five or six years after the founding of the church in Philippi. So we can see five or six years later, the church in Philippi was a church that was highly invested in giving to missions and supporting the saints as they brought word of Christ throughout the country and started more churches. Um, Take a look with me at the quality of their giving. Paul calls it a wealth of generosity overflowing from an abundance of joy In extreme poverty. Um, What do you learn from this? (laughs) It doesn't matter how much a church has. You can consider yourself a poor church and say, We don't have much, but we can still give. And in fact, it says, They gave according to their means and beyond their means to bless the work of the saints, Paul and others who continued the work of starting churches. Paul praises the church in Philippi for being part of meeting his needs, the provision of God. The church in Philippi was literally a tool in the the hands of God to meet the, the needs of Paul and the missionaries. Now, remember with me quickly where the church of Philippi came from. They were founded by Paul's obedience to go to Philippi with his team, Timothy and Silas. The church was founded by a team, by a group, by a core of those who responded obediently when uh, the, the Holy Spirit redirected them. Do you remember that they were going to Asia and the Holy Spirit said, no, here's a, here's a vision, go to Macedonia. They were obedient. And the church was founded on the faithful response of Lydia, uh, the girl who was in bondage to slavery, and the jailer all of whom came to faith in Christ, and, and even beyond that, their families came to faith in Christ upon hearing the saving gospel message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They repented, they believed, they were baptized along with their families, and they formed the core of the, that, or the, or the nucleus, if you will, of the new church. The church had grown. Uh, even though it was apparently poor, this didn't stop them from being obedient. Do I need to say that again for us to hear it? Even though they were poor, it didn't stop them from being obedient. They gave out of what they had, and they gave beyond to the work of Christ in Paul in starting churches. The church had grown and Paul and his team moved on to a new place, and the church responded in support. Why do you think they responded that way? Why do you think the church was so moved to support Paul as he moved on? I think it was because they didn't forget where they came from. They didn't forget where they started. They didn't forget that they had miserable jobs <laughs> as a jailer, miserable bondage as a slave girl. And Lydia, we know, was at, at the well at the edge of town meeting with other women um, and, and awaiting some kind of epiphany of a, of a Christ, of a Messiah, and was ready to receive. But I think that these people and others that we don't know about in Philippi look back and remember the misery and the bondage that they were in, whether it was bondage to sin, bondage to another person, bondage to a job, a lifestyle, whatever it was, they looked back and they they remembered the moment that they found freedom. When they discovered freedom in Christ, they already knew then what Paul would remind them. Remember, this is, the, that the book of Philippians written 10 years after the chart, start of the church of Philippi. Um, remember, that that they already um, sorry they already knew then what Paul was reminding them ten years later uh, that that their obedience was to give their obedience was to support Paul that their part in the greater uh, kingdom growth uh, in that moment in Macedonia and beyond was to give and support Paul as he went remember last week. Um, what Paul said in, in Philippians four ten through 13. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, he says, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, to be gruntled, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound I, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This was Paul's huh, this was Paul's charter, if you will, his his life statement. And the church in Philippi became a tool that God could use to strengthen Paul in his need. The faithful church. Was used by God and was part of why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you catch that? The church played a part in that. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is one of the things Christ used to strengthen Paul? The church in Philippi. We as a church can strengthen others, we can strengthen missionaries. Uh, This isn't necessarily a mission's message uh, that I intended for us to go down this path, but I mean, while we're on the topic, when we give to Lottie Moon, we give to Annie Armstrong, we give to Send Relief, we empower missionaries on the field to spread the gospel. Part of what Send Relief does, of course, is is, um, help alleviate human suffering, but they do it hand-in-hand with the gospel. The church in Philippi was part of the reason Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul reminds the church in Philippi and us by extension, Elmwood Park Community Church, that there's a difference between self-sufficiency and God-sufficiency. The self-sufficient person says, I can only give so much, or I can't give it all, or I'll, I'll give a little and see how it goes, and maybe later I'll give a little more. The God-sufficient person, the God-sufficient church, the, the Philippian church, and I hope our church, <laughs> and God hopes every church, can give beyond. Why? Because they are not focused on their self-sufficiency. They're focused on their God-sufficiency. There is a, a tremendous difference between, between trusting yourself and trusting God. That's an amen right there. That's an amen moment. Thank you. I mean, honestly, am I wrong? No. Paul asked the question here, is trusting God enough? Is trusting God enough? Can we trust God in our giving and in our receiving to ensure that His purposes are carried out? Do we trust God enough? Paul said, Yes. The church in Philippi said yes. I say yes. What do you say? Okay, good. (laughs) Well, maybe. No, yes. What does the church say? What does the church in Elmwood Park say? Is God sufficient? Is God enough? Or do we need something else? God is enough. Paul says the quality of the gifts of the church that were carried to him in ways that included even our friend Epaphroditus again were pleasing and acceptable. They weren't just okay, but they were pleasing and they were acceptable. The gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to God. The reception of our gifts, our sacrifices, our offerings, and our service are always received by God through a lens of obedience. Let that sink in for a moment. That we do these things that we do, giving, serving, loving, uh, worship, sound, making coffee in the morning, cleaning the building, whatever it is, fill in the blank, teaching kids, teaching youth, teaching adults. We do these things through a lens of obedience, out of a sense of love for the Father, and with an attitude, listen, that's cheerful. Maybe I should have got cheerful printed here, but I like gruntled. Um, listen what it says, Romans 12.1. He, he, this is Paul again. In, in the book of Romans, gives us some elements for the proper attitude of giving or serving God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So my question is, what is your purpose for sacrifice? Would you even consider what you do a sacrifice? Are you giving to the point that it's a sacrifice? Uh, Whatever. I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about time, uh, attitude, uh, uh, abilities, skills, talents. Are we giving uh, out of a sense of self-sufficiency? I'm giving what I think I can give. You ever done that? It's like uh, you're looking at your week, and I'm like, well, I think I have an hour for God this week, (laughs) I'm going to give him that. That's not really a sacrifice if you calendar God in, is it? (laughs) Maybe if you calendar God in on top of some stuff you already had planned, maybe then we begin to get at what a sacrifice looks like when you're balancing things you could do in the week and you're deciding I'm gonna do something for the Lord, with the Lord or along with others in the Lord instead of this thing that I had planned, then we're beginning to get towards the attitude and the understanding of sacrifice. But listen, is sacrifice, is giving, time, temperament, uh, abilities, talent, is it something you do to gain something? Some of us have come out of church traditions, religious backgrounds, where actions uh, and things that we do somehow purchase something. They, They get something for us. We can earn something for it. Do you do in order to gain forgiveness, alleviation of guilt, or do you do it out of obedience, out of love? Is it to please God and express love to Him? Or is it to use God like a spiritual vending machine? And I think at some point we've all been guilty of that in our thinking. If I put this in, I will get this out. Does that sound right to you? (laughs) We don't use God to get what we want or what we need or what we desire, put in some prayers and get a blessing. You ever heard anybody say that before? You ever heard anybody say something like that before? I have. I've heard churches say that. I've heard pastors say that. I've heard people who say I'm a Christ follower say things very similar to that. Think about what you say. Think about what you believe. Think about how you serve, how you give, how you love, how you set aside time for the Father and and really get in there and find out what is my motive and what is my motivation for doing that. Look with me at 2 Corinthians again. Chapter 9, starting in verse 7. We're going to read a couple verses out of of that passage. But but verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the attitude of of giving anything. At least it should be. Have you ever given anything to God kind of drudgingly? It's like, well, it's time to give at church, and so you get out. I'm going to get out my checkbook and write a check, give it to God. I mean, have you ever had that attitude? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, I don't know. It's, it's that time of week where, where, where something you do uh, in the church body, whether it's with kids or adults or music or whatever, it, it's time for you to, to, to use that hour or two you've set aside, and, and the time running up to it, you're dreading it. Like, I, I don't want to do this today. I want to watch Netflix instead. I, I don't want to be here. You guys are laughing. Hulu, sorry, no. (laughs) Whatever, right? It's like, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. I want to do my own thing. God reveals that in the goodwill gifts of his children, not just financially, but in all of them, that acts of worship and obedience and submission are out of a cheerful or a gruntled disposition. We do things because we want to, because we love to. I think the Philippian church, they gave, uh, they gave what they could and then they gave beyond what they could and I think they were thrilled to death to do it. They were like, let's give more than we can give. We'll make it somehow. You know what I've discovered? We always make it. I've never been in a church anywhere and we've been in lots of churches here and overseas that were, I would consider poor churches. I'm not saying that this one is or isn't. I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions on any particular church. Um, but I've never been in a church that didn't make it that wasn't making it, that wasn't, but, 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 but then again, always lead churches to follow Christ <laughs> and try and, our very best to be in the center of his will. Maybe if I was in a church that wasn't in the center of God's will, maybe that church. Obviously, churches struggle and churches fail. Churches have closed all over Elmwood Park. If you live in Elmwood Park, you know that. Um, the one south of here is a park now. The one up by our house is a park now. Uh, there's another one up by our house that's condos. There's one that's a Buddhist temple. Uh, the churches in Elmwood Park are all gone except for this church and the Catholic church. Churches close. Churches die. They get lost. (laughs) They forget what they're supposed to be doing. They forget why they exist. God loves us to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, not because we're being forced, not because the pastor has his thumb on on us and he says, you know what? Uh, We're just not going to make it if you don't give more this week. That's not that's not why now we might have to have that conversation sometime I don't know we're not there right now hopefully we won't be like I said, never been there before. God always always meets the needs and I've seen churches give beyond what I thought they could give and as you know you always have that as a leader in the church you lead the church to do something like say Annie Armstrong or or Lottie Moon or give to sin relief you know we've been asking people give to sin relief and and I'm just going to say without you know, naming any names, some people have given some big amounts of money through the church to send relief, to, to support Ukrainians and feed them and house them and take care of them. And, 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 all, and, and you always have that thought in the back of your mind. I wonder if this is going to cannibalize the offering the church needs to live on. <laughs> that, that thought runs, I'm just going to be honest with you. That thought has run through my mind before. But you know what always happens? The church gives beyond, somehow, from somewhere. They give what they can give, and then they give beyond it. And that's the kind of church Paul uh, was supported by in Philippi. Uh, continuing in that 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times you may abound in every good work. Wow, all, all all, he, he, all, 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 right? Remember, whenever we hear those words repeated, all, 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 any word repeated in Scripture, that's a signal to you of an exclamation point. That's a signal to you that this is important. Paul is saying all repeatedly to make a point. God's able to make all grace abound to you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times so you may abound in every good work. In other words, God's gonna provide everything you need, everything we need, In order to make him great, that's where we get lost. Sometimes as humans, we think God will provide everything for us to make us great. (laughs) To make my pocketbook great, to make my house great, to make my, my new car great, to make our building great, take it down to the church level, right? God is able to take all things all grace, all sufficiency, and all things at all times that we may abound in every good work. Remember that God is able. If you had to boil that sentence down, the alls, the four alls, into one simple sentence, Paul is saying God is able. If we are obedient, if we love, if we serve, if we give, if we're cheerful, if we're Christ-following, God will meet all your needs. It says my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus Philippians 4:19 but what are your needs? And what are your desires? And how do you determine that answer? That's a difficult that's a more difficult question than you think it is. It sounds easy just from a cursory hearing it said out loud but it's a much more complicated answer than we think Ephesians 1:8 We pick up on Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Listen to what he says, uh, starting in chapter one, verse 18 of of the book of Ephesians. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he wants that we would know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and you'll notice, uh, think about that glorious inheritance in the saints. Hold on to that for a minute. We're gonna hear it again. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? says he worked in Christ when when he was raised from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, authority, power, dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age and the one to come. But he talks about this idea of being supplied and 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 supported and cared for out of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." And he continues, being rooted and grounded in love, that ye may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Did you hear over and over again the, the riches of the glorious inheritance of his saints? According to the riches of the glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power uh, so that Christ may dwell in you in your hearts through faith. To him be the glory in the church. Uh, we, we get this idea over and over again in the, in the books that Paul wrote that there's this, this inheritance for the saints. Now, we're going to touch on saints again in a minute. Get a little quick reminder but I want us to understand that these statements in Philippians and Ephesians indicating, indicate that the fulfillment of our need is much less about our actual need and much more about His glory. Did you guys catch that? The fulfillment of our needs is much less about our actual need and much more about the glory of God. We get that reversed, don't we? For us, our needs are our needs, (laughs) and that's the the highest point on our mind. I want to make sure I'm clothed and I'm fed and uh, that I'm taken care of and I have heat and cooling and water to drink and a car to drive. This is where we start to get into the needs versus desires, right? Do we really need a car? Is that a guaranteed human? I mean, do you see where I'm at? right? Do I really need seven pairs of jeans? <laughs> you know, and, 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 a, and a rack of shirts that's this wide at home to pick from, right? We, we, we start to get our needs and our desires a little bit off kilter. But I think we need to really understand this. Our only real need is for Christ to be our own. I think if we could boil everything down Paul's talked about today, Ephesians, Romans, Philippians that we're finishing up, Paul is saying if we could just get a hold of this one thing, maybe we would realize all the rest is just fluff and glitter and bling and stuff that we don't need and stuff that takes up our time and our talents and our abilities and it diverts our energy away from Christ and away from the church and away from our obedience and away from our love. Have you come to the place where you have realized, decided, accepted, confessed Christ is all you need? Have you come to that place? Our only real need is that Christ be ours. Everything else will be taken care of after that. Out of the glorious inheritance of the riches of God for the saints in Christ, have you come to that place? Here's how you'll know. I have a way. I always love this. You know, we talk about Barometers and thermometers and check engine lights. Those are things that, that give you a sense of, of what's happening, right? Temperature, you know, you can look at a thermometer, you can take the temperature of something. Is it getting hot? Is it getting cold? Is it going up? Is it going down? Barometer tells you the air pressure, right? Check engine lights like, hey, there's an emergency. So I've got one for you. It's 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 this study the content of your prayer. Study the contents of your prayer what are you praying about? Are you studying? <laughs> when you study it, it's like, well, there aren't any to, to study. That's a problem, right? There's, there's nothing to study because I haven't been praying. Now, maybe you are praying, but let's study the content of that prayer. Is it selfish? Is it greedy? Is it about me and mine and what I need and want and desire? Or is it about the things of God? Are my prayers filled with requests for others, for salvation, for reconciliation, for redemption? What am I praying about? What am I talking, you know, in prayer, take it, take it down a notch. We're not talking about um, a ritualistic approach to prayer where you pray re- memorized, repeated prayers. I'm talking about a conversation with God. And you'll know the difference when you hear somebody pray. I, I mentioned this last week. We've got a couple of folks in the church when they pray, you just know they're having a real conversation with God. I've heard people pray before and you go, hmm, <laughs> is God really on the other end of that prayer? I'm not sure, not for me to judge. But there are people I've met, and when they pray, I know God's listening because they have a conversation with them and they talk about things that are the things of God, things that are important to God, our small group on Wednesday. Um, we've been meeting. How long have we been meeting, guys? Three or four months now, I'd say. Maybe, maybe longer. Probably, I guess, since maybe the the school year started last last spring, last fall. So we um, we get to the end, and some and and honestly, I've been struggling because sometimes we we pray about things that are that are important, and we have for the last four or five months, but I feel like there was just something on wednesday <laughs> i just felt like we're not really getting to the thing we need to pray about and somebody in our group was was sharing a prayer request and and i called him by name and i'm not going to embarrass him but i said what do you really want to pray about and everybody in the room just started laughing and and lydia said i was i was like really forceful about it i don't know what it was it was just there was just a moment i was like what do you really want to pray about just let's spit it out and you know what happened is the whole, well, at least in my opinion, the whole, the whole atmosphere in that room shifted, and everybody started mentioning things they wanted to pray about, not, not again, that the things we prayed about before were not real things, they were, but I felt like the real stuff came out. It's like, what's really on your heart? That was really the question I was asking. What's really on your heart? What do you really need to tell the Father? What do you, what do you want us in this group to pray for you about? before the Father, and man, there were like stuff came out to pray about, praying for our kids, praying for families, praying for, uh, for salvation, for redemption, for reconciliation, for the, the stuff that our prayers should be inhabited with. Not saying that we did this before, but it wasn't about my needs anymore anymore. God's gonna take care of our needs. Scripture says he knows our needs before we even utter those needs to him. You know, the, the Our Father is a pattern for prayer and, you know, it, it gives you some steps of approaching the Father and praising him and thanking him for supplying all your needs. But sometimes we get hung up on that part. <laughs> I need this and I need that. And if, and if this would just happen, everything would be great. We moved beyond that to praying for the things that I felt like are really close to the heart of God. And so, that's what I'm getting at here when I say, say take uh, a survey of the content of your prayer or maybe the lack of prayer, and you'll have your answer about, uh, about what's really important. Is Christ all you need? Um, right before the very end of the passage, he ends it by saying amen, and then he has kind of like a postscript. I put amen up there because we're at the end. Um, It's a a confirmation. It's an affirmation. It's Paul saying, everything that I've written, listen to that, make it so. (laughs) May it be so for you. May it be so for me. He closes with the simple ending. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So be it. Amen. But he's not quite done. (laughs) You think that sounds like a great ending. You ever ended something, but then you write some more ending? I do that. I do that when I work on Messages. Lydia sometimes, she's like, you ended that message like three times today. I've done that before. It's like an ending and then another ending and then an ending after that. Well, Paul, that's why sometimes Paul reminds me of me, or maybe, um, maybe it's the other way around. But remember, before we get to there, he says this. Uh, after verse 20, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. But Remember the word saint does not mean what we think it means. Um, some of us grew up in faith traditions where a saint was a person uh, that uh, almost mythically uh, made some, some miracles happen, typically three miracles, and then the church would like have a, a vote on him. Yes, we vote that, that person's a, a saint. Paul, in fact, teaches something completely different, that a, that a saint is a person who is a Christ follower. Any of you who have come to the place and point in your life where you have said not my will lord but your will be done i repent which means i turn away forgive me for my sin for not following you not desiring your will lord save me in the power of your uh, of your death burial and resurrection and now are placed in christ those people are saints if you have had a salvation experience with christ you're a saint i was talking with Lydia so we got the, got the shirts this week and i said i wonder if we what what people would say if we had saint shirts It's like St. Sean, St. Anna, St. Barbara, St. Mike, St. Rick. And Lydia was like, I think that's a terrible idea. (laughs) She said, people wouldn't understand. People wouldn't understand at all. They'd think, that church over there, they're a cult. (laughs) You know? But, But the reality is that that's true. Paul says if you are a Christ follower if you are in Christ you are a saint. Paul's greeting at the very very beginning of the book 6 months ago Philippians 1:1 Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints he writes in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And then he closes the book out. But he opened it saying hey saints. All of you Christ followers, listen. Listen up. (laughs) This is important. He identifies his audience, the audience of the church in Philippi, the saints, the Christ followers, and by extension in today's world, us. And he closes the letter in similar fashion, 21 and 22, greeting every saint uh, in Christ Jesus. To the uh, the brothers who are with me, also greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. We don't know why specifically Uh, he said those of Caesar's household, it probably meant something to the church of Philippi that we don't know about today. Theologians don't really know what the story is there. But all that to say, Paul opened with saying the audience is the saints, the Christ followers. He closed by reminding the Christ followers to greet one another. (laughs) Why did he put that at the end? He wants us to be connected. He wants us to talk to each other. He wants us to greet one another. I don't know why it was so important to Paul, but you know what, if it was important to Paul, it probably should be important to us too. So I'm just gonna say, greet one another in Christ. That's what Paul said to do. Now, Paul, again, reminds me of myself sometimes because he he just can't seem to wrap up, and some of his other epistles are even more pronounced where he's like, he just goes, and you're like, okay, there's the end. Oh, wait, no, there's, no, wait, And he finally gets to the end. He does it again, (laughs) Philippians 4.23. But he uses a sign-off that he uses regularly. This is also found in some of the other books, uh, Philippians, Galatians. I think it might be his, did anybody have a signature sign-off? You know, some people write a letter and at the end they say, blessings, Sean. I have a friend that's what he always said, blessings, Sean. What do you guys say? Bye. Sincerely. (laughs) Anybody have a good one? Hugs. Hugs. I like that one. That's a good one. Anybody else? What? Love. Okay. Well, this is Paul's hugs. Paul's hugs and love in the Lord. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We've reached the end. We've reached the end. We can thank God for Paul. But remember when we started this and i said about paul that the very last thing paul would want would be to have any of god's glory stick to him god was always pointing at christ and the sufficiency of christ and the riches of christ and the glorious inheritance there is in following christ and he always pointed to christ but i don't think there's anything wrong for us uh, uh, with us reflecting this morning and praying in a moment and thanking God for Paul um, because he wrote a lot of books (laughs) that are in the New Testament. Um, And I don't know about you, uh, the last six months in Philippians has changed me. I hope it has changed you. I pray that it has changed you. If you missed it uh, or missed any parts of it and you want to go back and catch up, it's all on YouTube, it's all on Facebook, the audio is all on our website, it's also on Apple Podcasts. I mean, you have no excuse to, there's there's so many different ways you could find to listen to this. Um, But again, I don't want any of it to reflect on me. I just said what Paul said. And Paul just said what Jesus said. So, in closing, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for Paul. We thank you that in every way he pointed to you. And Lord, we, uh, we, we thank you for his pointed questions. Man, he was good at asking the difficult question. And I love the question he asks us today. Is Christ ours? Is Christ yours? Lord, we know that when it all comes down to it, that is really all that matters. It doesn't matter what clothes we have, what houses, what jobs, what careers. None of it matters. What matters is what have we done with Christ in our life? Do we treat you? Do we treat Christ? Do we treat the Spirit like a spiritual vending machine? Seeking to get what we can have. That's how a lot of other things in our world work. I put in hours at work, I get paid. I put uh, some quarters in a vending machine, I get a Diet Coke. I put uh, money in a machine at a parking lot and I get to take my car home. That's not how you work, God. God. We we know deep down inside that's not how you work. God, forgive us for treating you as if you worked that way. Forgive us, Lord, and teach us a new way—a way in Christ, a way in trusting you, a way in knowing you that is different from the way the world says it knows you, Lord. Change our hearts. If we today are here and we're we're hearing some of this for the first time, and we have never, we we wouldn't be called saints in the in the sense that Paul is using because we don't know you, Christ, as Lord and Savior. Uh, if anybody here today in this room, listening online, listening online later, w- whenever it is, Lord doesn't know you, would be able to say, yeah, I'm not a saint because I don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Right at this moment, you can ask Christ to save you because it's all about answer to the question, what would you do with Christ and what have you done with Christ? Christ is our only real need. And today, if you need Christ, all you have to do is ask Scripture says, if you call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He also says to count the costs. He says it's going to be different. Your life is going to change. I'm going to mold you and shape you. I'm going to change your attitudes. The thoughts and attitudes of your heart are going to shift. The things that you chase, you'll no longer chase. The things that were important to you will no longer be important. I'll give you new affections, new loves. First and foremost, the love for God and the things of God. And he'll change how you talk. And he'll change how you pray. Lord, change how we talk and pray today. And so if you don't know Christ, you simply ask and confess, Lord, I've sinned against you I believe that Christ uh, was raised from the dead uh, on my behalf, took my sin. Lord, forgive me for my sin. I believe in those things, Lord. I want uh, and I need and I desperately have uh, uh, this, this sin that I need forgiven. Lord, forgive me. Scripture says he'll fill you with his spirit. He'll put a mark on you that's a seal, a seal that shows you're his, the, the spirit in you, Christ around you, and God uh, watching over and caring for us and loving us. Lord we love you and we, those of us who have, have come to faith in Christ before and have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior uh, Lord maybe we need to think through some things today and take, take, a, st- take a, a, a status check on our prayers what are we praying about what are we talking to you about Lord help us to return to our first love that our only real need is that Christ is ours Lord We pray desperately to make Christ ours today. Lord, teach us how to be content. Teach us how to be gruntled. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us how to love you with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our soul, all of everything that we have, that we can love you out of our poverty, We're poor in spirit, but Lord, you're rich. And the riches of, in your, of, of your inheritance in glory in Christ for those of us who are saints is enough. Lord, may it be so. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we say amen. 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 Well, the band's not here. Oh, there they are. They were like, we don't know when to come up. Sean might pray the rest of the day. That wouldn't be so bad. Um, we're going to close uh, with the the song that we sang in Spanish, "To Admi.